Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be reviewing Elder Mike. And uh, he has a video on open theism that I don't think that I knew existed. It's like a uh, like a year old. Let's, let's pull it up here. It's uh, a careful examination of open theism. Now, he is of interest because he is going to be in a debate with Dominic Enyart. Dominique Enyart? Uh, I guess we're calling him Dominique these days. I don't know if that's going to be like a forever thing, but, uh, or is it Zachary Enyart? Oh man, I, I should actually figure this out. <laughs> It'd be terrible if I got that wrong. Zachary Enyart. Zachary Enyart's going to be in the debate, not Dominique. And so that's good. Um, so now that I got that cleared up, this guy is an individual who I've interacted with before. Uh, I've talked to him on, let's say, uh, Clubhouse. And I've dealt with him in various rooms, interacting with Laron. Like he's he's a friend or acquaintance of Laron, and so I've had some interaction with him. And he's he's not terrible. He's he's not not a terrible guy. He uh, he seems to interact somewhat. Um, sometimes sometimes his arguments are a little bit stretched, or it's. Uh, you, you, you're like, come on, guy. It's not that hard to understand to try to press them. But um, that, that's who this is. So we'll see what he says here. Uh, this is his open theism uh, review. And so if if Zachary Enyart's watching, he should probably look into how this guy argues, how this guy thinks, his thought processes, just for a little bit of background. All Enyarts matter, David writes. Yeah, all Enyarts matter. There's a lot of Enyarts running around. It's hard to hard to keep them all straight. It's like, well, who am I talking to now? Ah, yes, another Enyart. Sister D. Proverbs. She says, open theism is the doctrine of the ability to beat God at the board games battleship. And guess who? Lord have mercy, sister. <laughs> yeah, uh, th that's actually a pretty funny comment by D. Proverbs. Open theism is the doctrine of the ability to beat God at board games, battleship, and guess who? So that that is a funny meme. So if, if they turn that into a meme and publish that somewhere, uh, that would get a laugh react from me. And so it's uh, it, it's taking the concept that people interact with God and God doesn't always get what he wants. Uh, people are able to argue with God, persuade God of things. And yes, yeah, sometimes God loses wrestling matches against human beings. I posted that on a Calvinist site. <laughs> it was so funny. No, none of these, I said, has God won every wrestling match he's ever participated in? And they didn't, they, they, they're losing it because, because their doctrines are mutually exclusive with uh, reality and with the Bible. And so you, he, you can't have a God who has to win all things, have no defects, can't, someone can't one-up him. You can't have a God like that losing a wrestling match. And so the cope just comes out of the wall. It's like, well, uh, he uh, he let him win. And uh, so it wasn't a real defeat. It was, even though he technically lost, it wasn't a real, technically he didn't lose either because it was he just allowing it to, it's like, what are you guys doing? Has God won all the wrestling matches he's participated? It's just, it's, it's just a simple question. It's just a simple question. Uh, what's the answer? And they, they don't like it. Uh, so yeah, um, presumably someone could beat God at guess who, if someone could beat God in a wrestling match, yeah, maybe, 
Sure, I'll go with it. Uh, uh, or D Proverbs, you said a mouthful. All right. Bless you. Bless you, Mr. Phil Fox in the house. Appreciate you, bro. All right. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. I love to see the saints, but I'm going to jump into this lesson. And again, we'll open it up at the end if anyone has any questions. Bless you, Minister Chris. And so uh, uh, a counter meme to that would be something like Calvinism is the doctrine that God beats himself at guess who? Something like that. All right, let's get it. A careful examination of open theism. Now, you all know that, that this has been a great topic of discussion of late. And let me make this absolutely clear. This lesson is not to bang, take a shot at, criticize, uh, uh, try to, uh, you know, uh, attack any of the people involved. I want to make that clear. Right. We all know, and I might as well just come out with it. We all know that uh, G-Con, uh, as well as Kev, G-Con is an open theist, and Kevin G, he, he's uh, uh, currently leaning. GMW says, does God wear Balenciaga? And I think this is a re reference to the Warren McGrew meme with the AI where the Calvinists talk about Balenciaga, which is some sort of fashion brand. And so that's it's a very popular thing, like all the characters from Star Wars talking about Balenciaga, all the characters from Breaking Bad talking about Balenciaga, and now all the Calvinists talking about Balenciaga kind of kind of triggered a few Calvies. But uh, I I don't know why it's such a hit. That way, he did say that he was uh, learning it, and I want to make absolutely clear that this video is not targeted to try to attack these men. I love these brothers. You all hear me? And so I am not in this to try to attack anybody. This is not a clap back video. I don't do that. All right. I'm not That's into forward. it. That's carnal. This video tonight is not about an individual. It's forward. Greek thought. Advocates of open theism are the real Hellenistic thinkers. <laughs> the doctrine of God's inability to know the truth comes from one of Aristotle's philosophies. He says, now check this out. This is Aristotle talking. Aristotle says, not even a God can know the future, at least the future as it relates to human free actions. That's a pretty st standard Calvinist idea as well, that God cannot know a future of human free actions every everything has to be predestined so it's this is not exclusive it's it's not like i'm not accusing the calvinists <laughs> oh, david writes lord almighty i'm not accusing the calvinists of uh relying on aristotle for affirming this statement so what these people like to do is is since their theology is explicitly historically based on Platonism, they get really mad about this fact, and then they try to counter-accuse open theists. And so we could actually trace the lineage. We could see Augustine saying, the Bible was absurd until I read it in light of Platonism. They don't have anything like that. And so what they have to do is they say, hey, uh, Aristotle has this one sentence here, and um, advocates of open theism are the real Hellenistic thinkers, because look, this guy here said something, and then these guys over here say something very similar. But again, Calvinists say the same thing. It's Calvinists are not 
Aristotelian. They're not. They're Platonist and uh, not Aristotelian, even though they might affirm some things in this un under the same lines as Aristotle, right? Just because you say something similar doesn't mean you're based on or derived from. But when you say that the Bible is absurd until I read it in light of Platonism, their red flag should be going off. When, when the early church fathers sing praises of the Platonists throughout their writings, red flag should be going off. What's going on here when, when they criticize layman Christians for not understanding the true words of the Bible and the true words happen to be Platonist philosophy that's not in the Bible, red fly, flag should be going off. And so it's, it's this cope mechanism is what we're seeing here, cope in action. These guys really want open theism to be the philosophically based non-biblical view. So they grasp at straws. Anything they could get, any argument, they'll, they'll pull out of the woodwork and try it. See what sticks. Throw, throw it at the wall, see what sticks. So it's actually the open theists who have embraced some Greek thought because they've adopted Aristotle's belief that not even a god can know the future as it... <laughs> They've adopted. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like there, there's a direct lineage and it came to us and then we, we accepted it. All right. Uh, you haven't shown that. And so one way that open theists are accused of being Hellenistic is a Greek pantheon type thinking in which there, there's a primary deity like a Zeus or something like that. And he rules a pantheon. And that's closer to the biblical view of God where God holds courtly uh, courtly sessions in which he deals with angels, as we see in First Kings 22, Second Kings 22, one of the Kings 22s, uh, with Ahab, I think it's Second Kings 22, where he, he queries the angels. He says, how are we going to deal with this guy? How are we going to get him killed? And all the angels offer different avenues. And then he selects one, right? So in, in that way, this, this is why that Vela character, he moved away from Christianity because he just saw that Platonism is not compatible with the Bible. The Bible advocates a different type of deity than this pure simplicity that he wants to believe in. It's just none of, none of the authors of the Bible believed in this. And so he might have better luck trying to accuse open theists along those lines as well. But again, correlation does not equal causation. That was pretty standard back in those times to believe in this this type of courtroom setting pertains to human free actions. This is what open theists purport. They say that because these decisions have not been made, it is impossible to know them. Right? And they believe that that is protecting human free will. Because if God knows the future, then how can our decisions be free? And I'm going to break that down a little more as we go. But I don't think I've ever tried to protect free will. I don't. I, this this is this. Uh, it, it feels like projection, but it, it might give him the benefit of the doubt. He's dealt with open theists who that's their primary goal is to save free will. I don't think I, I've ever been like, let's try to save free will. Let's do whatever we can to save free will. Nah, I I don't recall anything like that. So could be projection it could be just his subset of open theists he's dealt with in the past but remember church it's the open theists they're a, they have adopted aristotle's belief that not even a god can know the future if it why 
does he know that we adopted it? Because he just wants it to be true. It's like a wish fulfillment. I wish this was the case, and so I'm just going to make the claim, and uh, therefore it is the case. Relates to human free choices, because they think in some way that will restrict free will and human free choices. All right? Let's keep moving. Sound theologically minded believers. Don't catch this, you all. Sound theologically minded believers have always believed that God has perfect knowledge about the past, present, and the future. Y'all catch this? God has perfect knowledge, not just about the past. Now, the so this is this is interesting. Okay, so maybe it's a no true Scotsman fallacy, but remember Malachi three. Malachi three has a group of righteous people. They're God fearers, God worshipers, and they have a particular concern. Their concern is. Uh, we trust God is going to come back and right the wrongs, but we're very much afraid that he's going to accidentally punish the faithful along with the unfaithful. And so God, in response to this, hears their cries, and he writes a brand new book in the heavenly places, a book of remembrance of those names, so that these people are not accidentally punished on this, this return where, where God makes things right. And so it's it's almost like brother or elder Mike here is just not familiar with the theological beliefs of the people to whom the Bible is written, to, to who who interacted with the prophets, who, who people who worshipped God. They're they're not familiar with these things. King David says, "Search me, Lord, see if there's any wicked ways in me." Uh, elder Mike is is he ever going to pray that except for in some sort of weird allusion to the Bible that he doesn't actually believe? These people were practically minded. They were praying for practical things. They thought God was a practical God. They did not have these philosophical concerns. This idea that, oh, God knows all things, every single rock movement that's ever happened uh, for all eternity past. Like he, he's calculated the trajectory of every atom uh, eternally into the past, to the present, then into the future. That's not their concerns. God's omniscience had a particular focus in its man's activities. What man does, what man says, uh, if man is sinning or doing wrong, God has a focus of his vision, a focus of his knowledge and mankind's actions. The open theists, they'll say, yeah, God knows the past. Open theists will say, yes, God knows the present. But we're going to see if they're even consistent with that. But they'll say God knows the present, but they will also say that God can't know the future as it relates to human decisions because the, those decisions have not been made yet. Yeah, not not all open theists. Hashtag not op all open theists. There's there is that book that I often point to God's uh, presence, God's presence in the charismatic presence, something like that. I'll have to pull up the title, but in it, the author argues that God is repelled by sin. And so when God doesn't know the events that are happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, that's because sin has driven him from that place. And so he thinks that God works on this formula of repulsion from sin. And, and that's that's one method of being an open theist. I, I'm, I'm not that type of open theist, but open theists, it, it's a broad brush. There, there's, there's, there's a big tent that a lot of different views fall under, and some of it denies present and past knowledge as well. So they reject 
orthodox Christian omniscience. Again, they'll accuse, they'll say omniscience, you know, that's Greek thought. You know, it's not Greek thought at all. It's Bible. God has perfect knowledge of the past, present, and the future. God is omniscient. Y'all hear me? Divine omniscience means that God knows all true propositions. And I might, I'm going to get a little technical here, but I'll open it up for questions at the end if anybody, uh, you know, if you don't catch something, right? God knows all true propositions and believes no false proposition. I want y'all to catch that. A proposition is something that is true. All right. The range of God's knowledge is total. There is no lack in God's knowledge, whether it be from the past, present, or the future. He knows that which is, that which was, and that which is to come. So notice the method of speaking here. Uh, God knows all propositions. Um, so there exists somewhere in the ether a list of all propositions. And in the ether, all these propositions are assigned some sort of truth value. And God has apparently inherent access to this entire meta list of propositions and the truth value of those propositions. The Bible doesn't talk like this. <laughs> uh, nowhere in the Bible are you going to find any speaking like this about God's knowledge of propositions and uh, having lists of propositions memorized or access to and truth values like like this talk is not biblical talk like if you if you if he went he jumped in a time machine and went back to ancient israel and tried to like have a theological discussion with these people they'd look at him like he's insane like what are you talking about propositions truth values what what the range of God's knowledge is total. He knows all true propositions. All right. Bless you, Billy Ocean. Thank you for the super chat. Now, let's let's go a little further. Whenever someone knows something, we will label that a proposition. So knowing something is a proposition. I know my name is Mike. That is a proposition. You know that you're watching me on YouTube. That is a proposition. And so we'll, we'll break that down even more as we go. So in order for something, uh, in order to know something, at least two propositions must be true. First, a person must believe the proposition. And second, the believed proposition must be true. Believing a proposition is a necessary condition what does it mean to believe a proposition? Does God have beliefs? Uh, I, I think Tyler Vela was asked about this, and he said, no, God does not have beliefs. Why? Because God's knowledge is uh, simple, ungenerated. It's, it's non-discursive. It, it's not divisible, and uh, it accurately reflects the truth value. So it's not a belief. It's just knowledge, right? And so... The interesting thing is that either he probably doesn't know all all the technical details of what's going on in, in, in his theology, but a justified true belief is not the knowledge that they want to attribute to God 
for the type of knowledge that God has. And so you're, you're, you're getting a, almost like a bait and switch. You're getting someone who knows basic, uh, basic, uh, basic logic, base, basic, basic understandings of how people define knowledge, and then inconsistently applying that to a theological model without considering what that would entail. In Calvinism, in classical theism, God does not have beliefs. And for knowing it, right? For example, if you don't believe today, I have on my slide is Saturday, but if you don't believe today is Monday, you cannot know today is Monday. Knowing a proposition requires believing it. So in order for a proposition uh, or, or in order to know something, the proposition must be true. Right. At the same time, you can't truly have knowledge of a proposition unless that prop. So this is a model. This is a model of thinking about the world and making sense of the world. There's nothing within a model that advocates why this model is true rather than false. And so even individual units of propositions, each proposition is loaded with the context in which that proposition is made. So are, are propositions, are they discrete units? Do they actually exist in some sort of discrete sense? Does our knowledge have to be exact? He, he probably hasn't gone through all this, uh, the, the arguments that the philosophers make about why justified true belief is, is not actually a good indication of what it means to have knowledge. For example, I might have a justified true belief that the time is 12 o'clock. And the justification for that is I look at my watch and my watch says 12 o'clock. But unbeknownst to me, my, my watch is broken and it's just broken at 12 o'clock. No matter what, I just happen to look at it at the time that it said 12 o'clock. So is that justified true belief? Is that knowledge? These are the types of debates that philosophers have. And it's about the limits, the extent, the definition of their models. And the reason there are debates is because it, it is just a model. It doesn't actually represent anything in the ether. There's there's not discrete units of propositions just hanging out there with assigned truth values that, that you could just pull on and say, oh, I believe this proposition. And so then, then since that lines up with my belief, it's true. Our, our knowledge of what's true and false it revolves in reality around practicality. If what we believe turns out to be true, such that we could uh, function with that truth, that then it's true, right? Opposition is true. If you think you know today is Monday, when actually today... PMA says Eric Hernandez just mentioned that in his last debate against an atheist on theism. That is interesting. I'd like to know the details of that. It is Sunday, then your proposition is mistaken. You may think you know, but you are wrong. Therefore, you do not have true knowledge of the proposition. So when we say God knows all propositions, we think and know that God has perfect knowledge of all that is. Again, this is not a biblical definition. This is someone in the modern century taking mo modern analytical methods, applying it to ancient concepts, and then applying them to God. It, it's this is not a biblical category model he's he's laying out is in all that can be okay let me move on 
if the body of true propositions known by an omniscient being includes all true propositions about what human beings will do in the future, a serious consequence from for human freedom seems to arise. So let me just break this down. So here's the here's the dilemma, and they call this the problem of free will. Y'all flow with me tonight. Roddy writes, I can't believe the Bible if I don't believe this list of extra biblical appendages. <laughs> but but I want to break this down technically as well as I want to make this understandable. So they call this the problem of free will. If God knows everything, even the things that are to come, how is it do we have free will? If God knew yesterday that I was going to wear this blue shirt today, isn't it determined for me to wear the blue shirt? <laughs> See, this is the dilemma they call a free will. Because if God knows that I'm going to wear the blue shirt, then I have to wear the blue shirt. Because God's knowledge cannot be wrong. Yeah, because in, in their definition of God's knowledge, God's knowledge lines up to the truth value of a proposition in the ether. So this, this proposition has a truth value. that The, the truth value can't flip uh, based on the definition of God's knowledge where God cannot be wrong. It, it's faded. It, there's there's, there's no, no way about that. So the open theist will contend that if God knows that I'm going to wear the blue shirt, then it must be determined that I will wear the blue shirt. Therefore, in order to get around this, the open theist would say, JMW says, what is the main difference between open theism and dynamic omniscience? Dynamic omniscience is a subset of open theism, which advocates a particular model of omniscience. So you're going to find other models of uh, how God's knowledge operates. You're going to have uh, divine nescience in which just God doesn't know certain things. You're going to have uh, what I already talked about with the charismatic presence book, which, wow, uh, I got to just pull that up to get that actual title going on. But uh, yeah, uh, how does God know what God knows? Is it neo-Molinism correct? Does God only know the present? Do the future have have no truth values because it's in the future. What's the model of how God knows what he knows within open theism? Dynamic omniscience is one of those answers to that question. Well, God must not have knowledge of the choice that I'm going to wear the blue shirt because I haven't chosen to wear the blue shirt yet. So God can't know it. So Idol Killer said they're denying the very freedom of God. Yeah, I was watching... Um, it was uh, uh, the gospel truth posted one of my videos. Calvinists always lie. And so I rewatched that because uh, to see how well it holds up, it, it held up pretty good. It was back in 2017. So like five, six years ago, but uh, in it, I play a clip from Matt Slick and Will Duffy's asking him the question. It's like, can God write a new song that's never been written? And uh, Matt Slick's like, oh, he's like, can God write a new song that's never been written? He's like, well, uh, that question's invalid. He's like, well, it's, it's like a yes or no. Do, do you contend that all possible songs have already been written? And Master's like, no. <laughs> he like he could answer the question. He didn't want to answer the question. If God can write one new song, and in in a 
in a reality, in a world in which all future events have truth propositions that God knows and is in all, unalterable, God cannot do that. That's that's not in the realm of possibility. And so even, even the Molnist does not believe when they're pressed that God can do other than what God knows God will do. They'll, they'll say those events are still contingent, but they will say there's zero probability of them happening. It's uh, zero probability. They'll say it is possible with 0% probability. So in that way, they want to protect our human free will. This is what the open theist is trying to do. It's an overreaction to our reform brothers who do believe that all things are determined, right? Because our reform brothers, and again, I love, you know, this is a secondary issue. We're not banging against anybody. I love my reform brothers, right? But the reform brothers will say that, yes, if you could, you have to wear the blue shirt because God determined it. Now, some of them that will vary. The compatibilists will say it's soft determinism. When, and the hard determinists will say, you know, you had to wear it, you know. The soft determinist will say, yeah, but you still chose to wear it because you wanted to wear it. <laughs> but yet God determined it. And so. The All right. I did get the name of the book I keep referencing. God's Absence and the Charismatic Presence. And that's by Roy. Roy Kindleberger. I went and I saw him give a speech at uh, SBL and his speech was on the Witch of Endor. It was very interesting. I said, hey, you should come on the podcast and talk about this. He's like, oh, I can't do that. Uh, so he, uh, he gave that up. But it was a good speech, and it is an interesting book. For the open theists, they say, well, no, we don't believe all things have been determined by God. So in order for all things not to be determined by God, then God must not know our human choices that have not been made. Again, it is an overreaction to determinism, right? Notice the next bullet. It is impossible for any omniscient being to hold even one false belief. In other words, what God knows cannot be wrong. So if God knows I'm going to wear this blue shirt today. So here's the thing. I've been doing podcasting for I don't know how many years, at least since 2017, uh, when when that previous video came up, and so I maybe a decade or so there, I don't think there is a single podcast I've ever done where I I said this this podcast is dedicated to the problem of free will that will lay out a philosophical defense of free will. There's there's reaction ones like saying this is why Molinism doesn't work. This is why Molinism is internally inconsistent. But I don't think I've ever done this where, where I go through, if this, then this, and this is what it means to have omniscience. And I, I, I don't think it exists. I, I just don't think it exists. Tomorrow or, or today, I couldn't have got up and put on the red shirt. And God say, oh, man, I thought, I thought he was going to wear the blue shirt. And so God can't be wrong. Right? I want you to catch it. God can't be wrong. What's going on, Kevin G in the house? Bless you. I appreciate you, my brother. I I, I gotta I gotta fast forward. I, I don't know how long we've been on this slide already. Let's see. We've been on this slide for five minutes. He's on bullet two. Oh no. Oh no. He he keeps going. Um, let's fast forward just a little bit. 
we'll fast forward to the next slide. Next slide, friend. Either God can be mistaken or we don't have free will. Well, of course, the open theist will say we have free will, so God must not know the choice you're going to make. He simply knows the possibilities that you will make or can make for that matter. Hope y'all following me. All right. Bless you, Freddie Mills. So because, listen, if, if I'm able to choose something different, God would have then had a false belief, in which case God's foreknowledge would, ha would have actually been for ignorance. Yeah, so maybe this should have been like two bullets. Number one bullet is in classical theism, God has knowledge of all true propositions, including future true propositions. Therefore, since a future events have propositions that are unchanging fatalism is true it only takes those two steps right there there's a future truth value that's unfalsifiable fatalism is true right it will be not for knowledge but for ignorance god thought i was gonna wear the blue shirt but in actuality i wore the red shirt and therefore, God's foreknowledge would not be correct. It would be that God was ignorant of the choice that I was going to make. But listen, church, the Orthodox Christian belief does not believe in for ignorance. We believe in for knowledge and we believe God's foreknowledge is perfect. I thought they would return to me, but they did not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. God, God is shocked throughout the Bible. God comes to revelations about mankind throughout the Bible. God changes tactics in order to try to reach people throughout the Bible. God has expectations and those expectations fail throughout the Bible. He's not talking Bible here. Uh, he wants to talk philosophy. This is, again, this is their quote unquote strong suit. Their strong suit is not discussing the biblical text, discussing it in context and treating it in a scholarly and systematic fashion. It's more of the A.W. Pink type of logic where you just make a bunch of bold claims, you slap on a couple references to Bible verses, therefore the Bible teaches my theology, uh, no one can question it. Right? Notice what the slide goes on to say. This is impossible. If God has true foreknowledge of what human beings will do in the future, it would appear these actions are determined. It would appear these actions are determined. And so this is why my reform brothers would say, hey, man, this is true. How can you do anything outside of God's foreknowledge? It has to be determined. And many of them are compatibilists. And they'll say, well, God uses means in order to drive you through to what God has determined. And this uh, this lesson isn't about the reform position. I think I'll come back at a later time and explain the other extreme. I think that the open theists and my reform brothers are at two extreme ends of the spectrum, right? The next bullet says, if those actions are not determined and humans have the power to do something. Uh, the thing about a triangle of different beliefs is that either, either party, any of the three parties could claim the other two are at the extreme ends. And so I, I hate this like false, uh, what is it? This false humility, like, oh, this is the compromise. It the truth is somewhere in the middle. There's this extreme and this extreme, and the truth just lies at mm, what are, what are you doing there, friend? Thing or not, then it seems to follow that God then would lack omniscience. 
if I could actually make a free choice, if I can make a free choice, then God, in some sense, cannot foreknow it. Because if he foreknows it, according to open theists, then my decision isn't actually free. I am actually locked in to do that which God foreknows I will do. All right. Follow me, y'all. All right. So the open theist now has to make a choice. Do we protect our free will? Okay. And this is got, what open theists are trying to do. Next slide. Do knowledge. We got to eliminate God's knowledge of future human actions. All right. Next so slide. We can don't realize is this development requires a major altering of one's view of who God is. And did, did we do this already? D did we already go through this guy's stuff? I seem to remember talking about a slide on Clark Pinnock at some point in the past. So maybe this is a do-over live stream. Uh, let's switch to his begging the question. Let's see what he says here. Color. And then he explains why green is the best color. <laughs> but that's begging the question. It is this type of circular reasoning, reasoning rather, an argument that requires that the desired conclusion be true. This often occurs in an indirect way, such as that the fallacy's presence is hidden or at least is not easily apparent. Now, let me break it down for the open theist. This is how the open theists are begging the question. Open theists assume that if the future human choices are known to God perfectly, then those choices cannot be free. Well, what if it's what if it's built into the definition? So what if uh, freedom is the ability to do otherwise? What if what if it means that uh, human freedom, free will means that anything that we decide to do in the future doesn't have an assigned truth value to it right what what if that is the definition so if it's the if, if if it's the definition then it's not begging the question and so what's the definition what does it mean to be free what what does free will mean you, you got to define what you're talking about and then we could see if under your own definitions your own position makes sense see that's their assumption that has not been proven the theory of open theism is the response established upon this unsubstantiated claim. It does not follow that because the future is known perfectly, that the choices cannot be free. So they're begging the question. It is absolutely clear, church, that a human decision can be foreknown by God, and that decision can also be a free human choice. Now, this is important, you all. Bless you, G-Con, right? Hold on, you hang in there. All right, he says, it's absolutely clear that a human decision can be foreknown by God. Okay, what's the definition of foreknown? He, he's already defined it. He seems to be going with the definition that he set up in the system that God's foreknowledge is having access to the truth value of all future propositions. He says, and that decision can also be free human choice. Okay, well, what is what is that decision being a free human choice mean, right? If if my decisions are decided with truth values before I'm ever born, okay, so how how is that a free choice if those things have truth values before I'm ever born? That doesn't sound like freedom. What definition of freedom might you have? 
in which you could claim that eternally settled actions, which I wasn't around to decide, uh, I, I didn't exist to decide, things that existed uh, eternally before I ever existed, that what's your definition to make those free? I don't, I, I think he's going to, he's going to beg the question here. He's not going to define what he means. I appreciate the super chat. He said, what scripture says God is timeless? I, I got you. I'll, I'll answer that in just a minute. <laughs> Mike is Plato's son. <laughs> Bless you for the super chat. I'm We're going to see who has the Greek thought in a minute. You, you must didn't hear the beginning, but let's, <laughs> let's keep moving. Watch this. <laughs> Foreknowledge. This is important for this for this for even my reform brothers in, in my open theist friends. Foreknowledge is not causative, you all. Knowing something will occur does not necessitate that that thing that occurs was determined to occur. So, so what is foreknowledge is knowing the proposition's truth value. So how did that proposition get that truth value before the time the knowledge exists, right? Is this an ex post facto knowledge? Is it if it turns out to be true and if you believed it, it didn't have a truth value before, but after the fact, you see if the truth values line up? I don't think that's what you mean by foreknowledge. Again, in your definition of foreknowledge, which you seem to affirm, uh, those truth values have do exist in the present, all future truth values. It's not lining up here. <laughs> Hello. I can videotape a football game. I can. Kyle Killer says he said to Reformed brothers and open theist friends. I guess he sees it as salvific. I think he's just, uh, you, you know, when you do kind of a repetitive phrase and one phrase is pr pretty much the equivalent of the other. He's already called people like Gcon brothers, and so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He does seem to be an Arminian. Roddy asks if he's an Arminian, and uh, PMA Master says to his credit, he calls open theist brother. He's he's not a bad guy. I've interacted with him before. I, I think he's just a little bit hard-headed or stubborn to acknowledge points against his belief. Like he, you'll tell him something and it, it might not like stick. It, it doesn't carry over to the next conversation. Um, that's, that's something I noticed often uh, with people debating people throughout my life is it's like your previous conversation. It's like, like it doesn't actually exist. And you'll reference your previous conversation and they'll act confused. Like you're like, oh, I, I discussed that. You didn't have an answer for me last time. What about it? You're going on with the same point that I've already addressed and you had no answer. Yeah. Is this, this what we're doing? I don't know. I don't know why people do that. It's like, do, do, do they just put it out of their mind? Is it cognitive, cognitive dissonance where, where they're, they're trying to come to terms with facts and reality and they just they can't process it so they have to push something out it's weird know the score already somebody could tell me that the detroit lions will win 21 to 7 david says my missionary dad admitted to that forgetting thing about himself or other people that's <laughs> you know that's going to take some foreknowledge cuz the lions don't win many games <laughs> so i could already know 
right? That doesn't necessitate that those actions. So the funny thing, uh, Matt Slick's story, because those are always good. Um, when I was talking to Matt Slick after the Will Duffy debate, and I'm talking to him about this problem of, of foreknowledge and fatalism. Uh, he said, you know that Jason, uh, who is there that night, is going to go to his car tonight and drive home. He's like, see, you could know things about the future and that not be faded. And then he added a ca caveat. He's like, unless he's like hit by a meteor or something or or gets in a car wreck. It's like, that's that's not the type of knowledge that you're attributing to God. The knowledge that you're attributing to God is not this, oh, you know something's going to happen, but you, you really understand there could be alternative things that do in fact happen. That's, that's just not the same type of knowledge. It's a bait and switch. He's baiting and he's switching. He he wants he wants to take people's everyday experience. I know I'm going to church tomorrow, and then it happens, and it always happens, and I'm always right about the things I say is going to happen. And then he's going to turn that into fatalistic foreknowledge, in which God foreknows truth propositions that he are eternally set in the future, in which are unfalsifiable. And then he equates the two. This is classic bait and switch. Uh, it's manipulation. Does he know that he's baiting and switching? Uh, is he does, uh, is he intelligent enough to know what he's doing, or is he parroting things that he heard from someone else? That's that's my question. are determined when I watch the video back in replay. <laughs> they still made human choices to call the plays that they call on their own. Just because I have knowledge of the outcome of the game doesn't mean that I in some way determined that they would only score 21 to 7. For David says uh, his dad always forget forgot their arguments uh, about rock music being of the devil. Oh, yeah, I remember those times. Why can't we go back to the objectively uh, life was better when you had what church moms running around calling Garth Brooks, the devil. <laughs> we, we, I, I will take that back over what we have today. Garth Brooks being the, uh, my, my sister dated this guy who was like in the country music. And then he's like, Oh man, this country music's idolatry. And so he like, like he burned all his Garth Brooks CDs and Garth Brooks posters. <laughs> it's like, well, good. For, if that was your idol, uh, go for it. I, I completely affirm what you're doing as, as a, a gesture about getting rid of secular influences in your life. Good on you. <laughs> Garth Brooks. <laughs> I, 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 sh I showed my wife, I showed her that music video that, that uh, standing outside the fire. Oh man, it's only available on Vimo because probably Garth Brooks like will not let it get published on YouTube because it's about this kid with Down syndrome and he signs up for like the non-special Olympics Olympics and he does like a running thing and the dad's all like huffy. He's like, oh my, my Down syndrome kid shouldn't be running in the race and he's getting all mad and the mom's like encouraging him and like, oh, you can do it, son. And and the dad's in the background raking angrily like, oh no, son, no Down syndrome son of mine is going to be racing. Oh, it is the worst music video. Oh, but it is, it is so funny. She's like, is this serious? Is is this a parody? What what is going on here? 
standing outside the fire, Garth Brooks, a classic. Knowledge does not guarantee outcome. It is not causative. It's not the agent that makes the outcome the outcome. Right? I am not a determinist. I, I'm going to fast forward. Let's go to the next slide. Hello, somebody. All right. Watch this. I need you to pay attention to this, my friend, G-Con. Open theums, theism employs Aristotelian logic. It was Aristotle that claimed that propositions about the future. Drew McLeod's here. Uh, he missed our whole Garth Brooks being of the devil conversation. You got to rewind like 30 seconds and then go to Vimo and uh, go watch uh, Garth Brooks standing outside the fire. Fantastic movie, music video. <laughs> Can neither be true nor false. They accuse us of Platonic thought, of Greek thought, of Westernized thought, but they are the ones that have embraced Aristotelian logic. Aristotle falsely assumed that because something can be perfectly known about the future, then that makes it a fixed event and thus determined. Remember, what is the probability, a zero to 100%, that that future event that God knows will happen will not occur, will not actualize. If it's zero probability, it's not possible. Something with zero probability is not a possibility. This just it, it, it's it's so funny. I wrote that comment. I think it was on like Soteriology 101. I was like, ask people if something has zero probability. Is it a possibility? And uh, one of the, the comments was only open theists uh, are going to deny that or something like that. Oh, it is so funny. Open theism is the overreaction to Calvinistic determinism. That's what open theism is. It is an overreaction to Calvinistic determinism. And they have falsely assumed, again, this is begging the question, that because something can be perfectly known, then that thing must be fixed and determined. And that Yeah, so we need to define our terms. What does free will mean? What does free mean? What does it mean that something is set or faded? What does it mean that something is determined? Like, wh what are we arguing about? To know if it's begging the question, we actually have to define our terms. And that's why in my Molinism response video, I used only their definitions of terms. What what things that are uh, possible that, that what what they're talking about and things that are necessary. What does it mean to be a necessary event? And it looks, for all intents and purposes, it looks like everything that happens in the Molinist world is a necessary thing, using their own definitions. Right? They 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 just want to add on to this. They they just want a special third factor that they could apply to all events and say, hey, it, it has this additional property of contingent, meaning it's not necessary. But what leads them to that conclusion? Well, their model demands like dark matter. It's like our, our model doesn't quite work. So let's introduce um, dark matter. Yeah, that's it. That will solve all our equations, this dark matter. <laughs> that simply does not follow. If propositions about the future is neither true nor false, then it would be logically impossible for God to predict the future. 
See, if this were true, God couldn't predict anything about the future. He could guess. I'm talking about with accuracy and with perfect knowledge. This is why the open theists believe God is deciding on the fly. <laughs> Mike wore the blue shirt. OK, let me make sure he don't get jumped by the Crips. <laughs> All right. <laughs> or, or the Bloods. I might wear the red shirt. Let me make you know, now I got to decide make sure Mike don't get jumped by the Crips. Come on, man. God is not deciding on the fly. The belief that God does predict the future solely lies on the understanding that God absolutely knows what he's talking about. God is not taking calculated risk. God is not watching the stock market saying, you know, uh, God's not watching the stock market. That's interesting. Um, So we are going to play a clip, a, a, an inspirational clip. If, if his if brother elder elder mike if he has got you down and what makes you want to give up on theology we do have a new inspirational clip that uh, we're going to show right get away from him don't you touch him he's not finished Come on, Brian, you gotta get up, son. Come on. Come on, get up. Come on, you can make it. Come on. Standing outside the fire. And that was standing outside the fire, Garth Brooks. Thank you, Garth Brooks, for that that gem. And uh, I love it. And I posted the Vimo, the Vimo link to that as well. This says stock market. No, no way. Shirt colors, yes. Yeah, well, I do think that God is watching. The stock market, I I will <laughs> karate rights to make it stop. <laughs> I do think God's watching the stock market. I I didn't know that's controversial, but uh, maybe. You know what? This is trending. I'm gonna put. I think it's gonna be this. No, oh, wait, we gotta go forward. We gotta go next slide. God, or he doesn't know the consequences on what I'm gonna do because I haven't decided to do it. I'm I'm, I'm gonna help people understand how this is a problem. God doesn't even know what he's going to do tomorrow, y'all. <laughs> That's a problem. I, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know I know some things I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, it's Mother's Day, so I assume I should get, get something for my wife or something. That might be a good idea. So, But I'm not exactly sure what. And so we'll figure that out. But... That's actually pretty interesting. Um, I was watching this review of Bioshock Infinite, and uh, Bioshock Infinite, one of the main premises is about possible worlds, and they have this concept of uh, variables and absolutes, something like that, which which all these worlds that actualize might be different in some small respects, but there are absolutes within all of them. And so in the story, there's a, a, a man and his daughter and so those are some of those absolutes that exist in all those possible worlds, uh, even though they exist in different ways. They're, they're different people. They have different lives, things like that. And so it, that kind of illustrates how the world functions, like the future functions. I know I'm getting my wife something for Mother's Day. Okay, that, that could be a true proposition. Let's just assume it's out there in the ether with uh, like a like a truth value assigned to it. I'm getting my wife a present for Mother's Day. And, um, but I just don't know what that present is, right? So this is, 
this is a proposition with a limited scope with variables within it. The only thing that's said in this proposition is me getting that gift. So it's not like that it, it's an actual truth value that exists somewhere. It because because the event has things that that just aren't set within it. So it can't be fixed in the ether. And so that's 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 kind of how I kind of view how God's going to handle the apocalypse within the Bible. There's various things that are set that are going to happen, but in which way that they happen and when they happen, that there's a lot of variation that could happen within that. So there's truths that are set, but then there's variables. And again, the whole thing is is contingent. I don't I don't think like some open theists they say all these things are fate. Like like you could have this event faded here. And then all these other variables, I think everything's contingent per God's own words in which sometimes he does things based on human actions. He'll revoke promises he's made based on the actions of individuals, based on people turning to him and turning away from him. That's who God is. If there was a reformation on earth in which everyone came to God and worshiped God, I don't think there's going to be apocalypse anymore. He doesn't. In open theism, God doesn't know what he's going to do tomorrow because he doesn't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> he may save me tomorrow. <laughs> Idol Killer says, Mike is taking so long to make a point. It will all be elders by the time he's done. Well, well, look at this. He, he made like 40 bucks just making this point. Um, and uh, probably more than that throughout this chat. So may, maybe this is a wise strategy. Maybe we should listen to Elder Mike and his uh, profit-maximizing open theist speaking. Heck, I could do this. I could, if someone pays me 40 bucks, I will remake his video against open theism. I'm skipping forward. Do you see the problem, y'all? Not even God can have knowledge about future actions or consequences. Now, they say that they, they know, you know, the potentials of the choices, but how can he know the consequences when the choices to make about those consequences have not been decided? Open theists must admit that God doesn't know which woman will marry which man. <laughs> so he didn't know Elder Mike would be here because he didn't know that my mom would marry my father because that was a volitional free will decision. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I don't think that God, when he created the world, was thinking about Elder Mike. Oh, oh, I there was an inappropriate Twitter comment about about the standard Catholic belief that Jesus had all human sins in his mind on the cross. And the Twitter comment joke was like, like God visualized perverted anime guys doing perverted things to like, like cosplay for Wall Waluigi, like the Mario guy. And then he, then Jesus still decided to die for us. They're like mad props to Jesus for still doing that with those sins in mind. It was a pretty funny tweet because that that is that is the Catholic belief that all those sins were in. I don't know if it's Catholic belief. It's a pretty common belief in these types of people that all those sins were in God's mind. And that both of them made, and he could not have known that until they made it. Until they made the decision. God can guess. 
He may say, well, his dad likes him tall. His dad likes him small. His dad likes him short. So the potential for him to marry her exists, but he can't know right. that perfectly. I got, I got God this. is guessing. I, I got to skip it. Merely okay. as a means of determining Whoa. what is best for skip. us now. Dead. He said, come on, Sarah. <laughs> Let's get this promise cooking. Contradict. Okay, I'll, here we go. Open theism contradicts uh, scripture, maybe. Let's see. Um, it's your whole system. All right. Now, Jeremiah 1 5. Now we in the scriptures. Econ, my brother. <laughs> he tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Okay. Uh, here, here's the logic. Uh, God, before Jeremiah was in the womb, knew Jeremiah, therefore, eternal, ungenerated non-discursive uh non-falsifiable foreknowledge of all things past present and future is that an argument is that what we're going going before you were born i sanctified you uh, i ordained you as a prophet to the nation before he's formed in the womb therefore this weird omniscience th this is this is this is actually his first proof text uh he went on for an hour we skipped we skipped over luckily we skipped over a lot of this uh but this is his first piece of evidence for the things that he's claiming it, it's not a good start when someone's first piece of evidence doesn't have anything to do with the proposition that they're trying to prove it's not a good start <laughs> it's it's not going to go uphill from here the, the, this is this is the pinnacle it's it's only going to go down before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. How does God know Jeremiah when his existence came about through future contingencies? And of course, the, the answer is that in within the Psalms, Psalms 139, they talk about fetology. And there's a development of a baby who starts as unformed substance. Uh, God, you knew me when I was yet unformed substance before my days were any. You knew them all. Um, the baby starts as unformed substance and then forms. So you could go look at fetology videos about the development of the baby in the womb, and you'll see it start developing human characteristics. That's what it's talking about here. So there are, be there are better verses for God knowing about individuals before these individuals are conceived. Uh, things like uh, Josiah. But Jeremiah 1.5 is not about knowing Jeremiah before conception. It's just before formation in the womb. And so this is not even the best evidence he has for the point he's trying to make. Did How did God know perfectly that Jeremiah's parents were going to come together and have relations when the open theists contend that God doesn't know future contingencies? It would be under open theism. And so in his mind, I think he's he thinks that like this verse is talking about knowing him eternally. It's it's like, did you did you read your own proof text, friend? Elder Mike, did you did you read your own proof text? That's I, I don't I don't think that's talking about eternal foreknowledge of all things. Uh, from before creation in a timeless eternity. I don't know what Elder Mike believes about uh, being timeless or anything like that. But it's not talking about this eternal foreknowledge. It's just talking about before the time that you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I it, I, I don't see anything in there that says I, I knew Brother Mike 
from uh from like back when Adam and Eve are walking around. I don't see it. Impossible for God to know Jeremiah before he was in the womb. Do you see how open theism contradicts the scriptures? Yeah, TB9K writes, the fetal gestation could just be a metaphor for the core of someone's being or the totality of their life. I, th I think that's probably pretty accurate. That's what they're going for. This is this is poetic language. You knew me in my entirety. It's like King David saying, I, I was uh, birthed in sin or Job or, or King David saying that I was righteous from the womb. I was righteous from my youth. I... I came out of the womb helping widows uh, like Job is, is saying things like this. It's, it's just, it's just a hyperbole probably. And, and it could be like, God has chosen me since I, since the beginning to fulfill these roles. Paul definitely think, thought he was in that apostolic tradition, that prophetic tradition of being called from the womb. I don't know where that verse is offhand, but uh, it, it's pretty common people being called from young ages within the Bible to do prophetic deeds. And what happens? Sometimes they don't want to do it. Sometimes there's people like like uh, Jonah, and he's like, I don't want to do that, Lord. And he tries to run away, and then God has to track him down and, and cage him and threaten his life, like, you will do this. <laughs> and then they have to begrudgingly do that. Sometimes that has to happen because Calvinism is not true. And uh, classical Arminianism is not true. God reacts to things as those things happen. God knew Jeremiah before the womb. In the womb, and children are born through human contingencies or future free will actions. That's it. <laughs> I, I can really stop there, but I'm going to... Yeah, GMW says, Chris, can you give your positive response to the verse? Yeah, um, very succinctly, Jeremiah 1.5 is about fetology. People are known and chosen by God when they're in the formation process within the womb before their parts are formed. This is pretty, pretty uh, uh, transparent within the Bible. It's a common motif that people are called from the womb called from very young ages. And that's what it's referring to. It's not talking about knowing someone before they're conceived. That's not what's happening in this verse. I'll give you a little more. So God knew Jeremiah before the one. How did God know that? He doesn't know future human choices. Then he ordained him a prophet. How did he know that? Without knowing Jeremiah's future decision to serve him. Without knowing Jeremiah's future decision to give his heart to the Lord. Unless you're going to say that God determined him to do it. And we know open theists aren't Calvinists. So how did he even know that Jeremiah would choose to serve him to be ordained a prophet to the nation? Uh, he he might have used a giant fish. Uh, that's that's with, within the realm of possibilities that, that God's going to do that. Or... So maybe Eli's sons who totally reject God. God said, you, your house would be before me forever. He says, I changed my mind about that unilateral promise and no more. I'm just going to cut them off. The, these are within God's wheelhouse. This is within his tool set of, of possible reactions to people who do not follow through with their callings. God has done coercive methods. God has just outright canceled and terminated terminated his uh his uh, uh acquaintances patience come on here all right 
Let me go a little further. No, wait, let's, we're going to skip now, the next here's one. Here's one of the most popular. Now I not oh. lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Watch what God says here. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know. See, Mike, God is saying, now I know. You got to read the text, Mike, the plain reading of the text. See, you got to bring in philosophy, Elder Mike, in order to explain this verse away. Because how in the world is God telling you that he knows now, since you have not withheld your son? So God is coming into a knowledge, according to the open theist, that he did not know before. He just experienced this when Abraham offered up Isaac. And God said, now I know. You see that, Mike? God isn't saying he knew this from all eternity past. He knows it now. Now I know. Open theists have a problem with how language works. And I'm going to show you that in the text. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe he'll show us that, but uh, it's interesting that there, there's, uh, the book by Joel S. Kaminsky, Jews, Christians, and the theology of the Hebrew scriptures in which he, he, he was one of these classical theists. And, uh, what, what turned him was a fresh reading of Genesis 22. He says, my homiletics colleague, Richard Ward and I were doing some, a teaching session together. He recited Genesis 22 from memory. In the freshness of that new medium, I heard a verse. I've got to pull it over here so I can read it better. I heard a verse I'd always passed over before, although I do not recall his giving it any special emphasis. Again, the angel of the Lord is speaking. Do not stretch out your hand to the lad. Do not do a single thing to him. For now I know that you are a God-fearer, and you did not withhold your son, your only one, from me. If we take those words seriously, and in this narrative, not a word is wasted, then we have to believe that there is something God now knows for the first time. Let's, let's keep scrolling down. He says, I spoke earlier of cultivating generosity towards the text. If we are inclined to befriend it, generosity towards the Old Testament must mean this at least, accepting the text on its own terms, literally working seriously with the language it offers us. The advantage of this present reading is that it is directed by the words of the passage rather than by an extraneous idea. The immorality of child sacrifice, the omniscience of God, however valid that idea might be in another interpretive situation. This reading also coheres with the larger narrative context to which the very first words of the chapter point us. After these things, God tested Abraham. After what things? Here we are in the history of salvation. At this point, all God's eggs are in Abraham's basket, almost literally. Recall that after the Tower of Babel, God gave up working on a blessing directly upon all humankind and adopted a new strategy, channeling the blessing through Abraham's line. Our story takes account of this, of that new divine strategy. And all the nations of the earth will find blessing through your seed because you heeded my voice. God, having been badly and repeatedly burned by human sin throughout the first chapters of Genesis, yet still passionately desirous of working blessings in the world, now consents to become totally vulnerable on the point of this one man's faithfulness. But the narrative has just cast a shadow of doubt over Abraham's total faith in God. 
Remember those two episodes in which Abraham has Sarah pass herself off as his sister in Egypt and again in Canaan. He lets his beautiful wife go into the king's harem rather than trusting God to protect them on their sojourn. After these things, God tested Abraham. After all that, we can begin to understand why God must know for sure whether the single human thread upon which the blessing hangs will hold firm. So that's what I, I like about contextual analysis. Like, like that's actual contextual analysis. Where, where are we in the story? How does this fit in with the overall narrative? How does it contribute? Just, just, just reading the verse and saying, if we read it with this very specific emphasis, you could kind of see that it's not open theism and it's Calvinism. That doesn't that doesn't seem like actual contextual analysis. Um, again, words words have uh, so much variety and meaning. Any phrase could mean anything. If this was the only thing that existed in the Bible, it is does that point to the truth of open theism? It's it's evidence, but it's not proof. You you get meaning from phrases by examining context. What's happening in context? God is testing. Why is God testing? What why is this needed? What is happening? All right, we'll see what he says. Right? Watch this. Romans chapter number four, verse number three. The Bible says this. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse number six. And he, talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. When did Abraham fully put his trust in God? Genesis chapter number 15. <laughs> when was Abraham counted? Unless God counted somebody righteous that he didn't know fully trusted him. <laughs> Abraham believed. So th this is not a contextual analysis. And so, of course, Romans is written by Paul and he has an agenda in Romans to advocate his specific doctrine to a hostile audience. And he's using this as a specific evidence point for that specific point to a specific audience. I do not think it's a commentary on Abraham's righteousness as it pertains to Abraham throughout his whole life. And if the Genesis uh, 22 events are, are something that uh, doesn't actually count because there, there's this uh, Genesis 15 event that we consider. I think the Kaminsky, and that, that's this critical scholar, this is Joel S. Kaminsky. I think he has a better take that Yes, God's eggs were in this one basket, and Abraham has shown that he might not be as trustworthy as God needs in order to fulfill these things. His righteousness, his future righteousness is, is in question, and so God has him to perform this to affirm the promises. And it's not like righteousness is like a once-and-done type of thing, as uh, Elder Mike is, is seems to be claiming here, that if someone's righteous, they can never not be righteous. I I, I don't I don't think that's the case. It's it's a weird argument. I don't think it works. Leave God and it was accounting him to righteousness. When did this <laughs> rapid page flipping argument? A TV 9K writes. Yeah, it's it's an argument from rapid page flipping. <laughs> Happened seven chapters before he offered up Isaac. 
Abraham already fully believed in God, was fully righteous, fully trusted God before Genesis 22. And God knew that he fully trusted him because God in turn counted Abraham righteous. And it's really, I could take you back to Genesis. So this, this it's, a, it's a weird argument. Uh, the narrative events being described in Genesis 22, it can't be read in the open theist way because of the implications that would have for Romans 4.3 as it relates to Genesis 15.6. Is that a convincing argument? Uh, is, uh, has anyone in the history of humanity been convinced one way or the other on that? Has someone who's an open theist listened to that argument and said, oh, that's a good point. Maybe Genesis 22 is not an open theist proof text because um, because of the way Romans 4.3 would have to be read with Genesis 15, 6 in mind and the implications that it would have on the Genesis, it, it boggles the mind. It's like, how did we get here? How, how is this your argument? This is, this is what your second or third scripture you're pulling out here that you're talking about is, is this your argument for your case? Does it make sense? If, if you're trying to convince someone of something, is this how you're going to convince them of that thing that you're, you're, you're stating? That makes no sense. This is 12, right? But for the sake of the argument here, when God is making a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter number 15, he counted him righteous right then. Stop it. You, you're, you're misunderstanding the text, right? Sometimes a technique in writing is to repeat a truth that was already known in a... Roddy says, I'm missing how this adds up to open theists don't understand the language. Yeah, so like what I'd hope to do is if if there's a phrase like now I know and uh, the, the classical theist wants to say that he actually did know, you'd want to try to prove that that phrase has a range of possibility that allows prior knowledge of that thing. So you, you might want to look up that phrase throughout the Bible, see where it's used, how it's used. See if you can't find a, an example of someone who's not obviously lying, who's telling the truth and saying, now I know for something that they actually knew prior or, or find a figure of speech. What does this mean in the figure of speech? Uh, that's the Geisler. Geisler tries to do that. He tries to say, this is a figure of speech and it means Something along the lines of I'm I'm affirming the events that happen. Okay, that could be your case, but I think that's I think that's just completely arbitrary. I don't think there's the only reason you're coming up with that explanation is because you don't want this verse to exist, right? It's it's argument from <laughs> wish fulfillment, wish fulfillment, a way as though it was not known. That is a writing style. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, Drew writes, the more I hear people try to refute open theism and dynamic omniscience, the stronger I believe it. It's it's really, it's that it feels that way in a lot of things like uh, evolutionists, like Stephen Jay Gold, uh, just, just a serial liar who just, uh, he lied in uh, in his book about IQ, about school sizes and things like that. It's like these people are just pundits. They just lie through their teeth. It's like, are these people are the people that I'm arguing against? It's it, it's 
it gives me a lot of confidence in my beliefs because it's it's it, these people don't care about truth, right? Uh, I'm not saying Elder Mike it doesn't care about truth or anything like that. Um, he, he might actually believe the things that he's saying. He just he might not have put it all together. He, it, it might it might be a conceptual problem rather than a character problem. I for for the record, I do not think Elder Mike has a character problem. But God already knew in 15:6, He counted them righteous. Let me give you another passage. Romans chapter four, verse number 20 and 21. Watch what the Bible says about Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Watch this. Watch what the Bible says about Abraham and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. When did this occur? Before Genesis 22, because it was in Genesis 21 that Sarah conceived. <laughs> Abraham had faith, did not consider Sarah's body dead, nor his own body, because they were both old. But the Bible says he was fully convinced. This was years before Isaac was even born. Some theologians say Isaac was about 15. Others say he was about eight and nine when they took him up to the mount, whichever. This was years before Isaac was born. The Bible already said he was. All right. So it's it's time to do some more reading. And we're going to read Psalms 139. And the more, more I read Psalms 139, the more I love it as just poetry, as just the concepts that it, it's it's uh, given it's it's an amazing work uh, i'll 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 blow up the screen to read it's almost 139 1 for the chief musician a psalm of david O lord you have searched me and known me you know my sitting down my rising up you understand my thought far off you comprehend my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways it, he, he talks about how god has searched him and known him and uh, it, his his personal relationship with God, how does this end, right? Uh, he, he, he's, he counts himself among the righteous, right? He says, uh, he says, you see my substance, your thoughts precious to me. He hates the wicked. And then how does he end the psalm? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. I'm reading from the New King James. I'll switch to the ESV real quick. And try me and know my thoughts. Yeah, that, that's an interesting translation difference between the King James and the ESV. You know my anxieties versus know my thoughts. And uh, the net has know my concerns. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Like people can change. Things could happen. The Kaminsky, I think I'm saying his name right, Kaminsky, uh, the Kaminsky reading of of Genesis 22 makes sense. You know, there's these things that happen within the narrative of the Bible that might give God pause about working with this specific individual at which God needs to try to test out, right? It's it's not this it's not this all all or nothing one-time thing that uh, Elder Mike wants to do. But uh we'll we'll go back see what he says. Fully convinced. 
You can't pick and choose which verses are true. The Bible says he was fully convinced that what he had. See, this verse here, G-Con, is talking about the fact that when he had faith enough to sleep with his wife in Isaac to be born. See, he didn't consider her womb dead. He said, come on, Sarah, <laughs> let's get this promise cooking. Hello. Come on here. He did not consider her own body dead. He did not waver. That's what the Bible is talking about here. He was fully convinced that what God promised he was able to perform. But you trying to. Uh, Drew says, get to the argument, Brother Mike. Yeah, we'll we'll skip to the next one. All right. Um, I think he's done with the Bible. Oh, no. Then he goes to Super Chats. This, this is it. This is it, friends. Okay. We'll, we'll go to this last slide here. Trying to say, don't get me wrong. I'm not here saying who saved and not saved. I'm going to let God do his job. But listen, church, open theism weakens the gospel message. I want you all to catch this. Because open theism makes the cross a possibility and not a definite a definite ransom for our sins. In open theism, it's possible that nobody got saved. Got, <laughs> got yeah, this is a weird argument. The argument is in open theism, everyone might have rejected God, therefore, open theism is false. It's a weird argument. Like like if God wanted to, he could raise new children of Abraham from the rocks. This this is John the Baptist's argument. God could just do away with everyone, destroy everyone, and then raise new children of Abraham. And uh, someone made a comment last time I made this point that that might be a vulgar reference to John the Baptist's own anatomy. I don't have an official position on that, but uh, I, I like to think that he's talking about an innovative way for God to raise new children of Abraham from anything. Like he could spawn them from nothing if he wanted. God made a calculated risk. Well, I believe there's some people that's going to believe. Open theism reduces God's knowledge in a way that robs him of his sovereignty and power. There is no. So it, it, these aren't actual arguments. The, these are like feel good, moralistic fallacy. Like uh, open theism makes God weaker. Like like God has to control all things. It's like like someone who believes that God doesn't control every atom from every bowel movement uh, thinks God has weaker power than someone who thinks God doesn't control every atom from every bowel movement, and therefore we sh we should default to the micro. It's that that's a weird argument. It's it's not an actual argument in. It seems to be like word thinking, right? It's it's thinking that we we like the idea of power, and so we're going to try to maximize it, even into absurdity. It makes no sense. Okay, makes makes weakens the gospel message, as it makes the cross a possibility and not a definite ransom for our sins. Like what? What are you talking about? We're here. We exist. Uh, there's been there's been like uh, millions of people before us who have all lived and died. What are you talking about? What is this? It the cross a possibility, not a definite. This this is his thing. Like maybe nobody ever would would believe in God. 
okay, there's there's billions of people in this world who believe all sorts of things. What possibility is that everyone rejects God? What's what's the probability of that? Like like next to zero. No way that God knows or knew perfectly that anybody would believe in a resurrected Christ. He didn't know it perfectly because that's a future human contingency. Yeah, uh, Jesus marvels at people's unbelief. It's like it's 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 a thing. It's in the Bible. It's uh. now he might have thought it's they probably gonna believe it, but he didn't know. God did not know that anybody would actually believe in the future resurrected Christ because that is a human choice that had not been decided yet because Christ hadn't died yet. And therefore God cannot know it in open theism. Therefore, uh, Drew says on any free will perspective, no one could have believed. Correct. If you're using an actual definition of free will, of course, he's an Arminian. He'll claim free will exists, but free will exists at the same time as all our actions forever in the future, having external propositions with, with solid, unchangeable, immutable truth values assigned to those actions, but we also have free will. So what he wants to do is have his cake and eat it too. It doesn't sound like free will to me. For God did not know if anybody would believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do y'all see how problematic this is? Open theism creates a God who cannot assure us of the future. It cannot. All right. It cannot assure us of the future. Because he doesn't know it. God does not know the future in open theism because open theism is contingent upon uh, or God's not. Yeah, that's this is another one of those arguments that I just I just don't get what they're doing. Like, we can't be certain about the future. Like, when, when are we certain about anything in life? Even these Calvinists. Uh, if you have people like the Velas and the Matt Slick daughters who turn away from Calvinism. They were so assured in their salvation when they were Calvinists, but then they turn away. And like their fellow Calvinists will still make the same argument. Like, oh, you open theists can't be assured of your salvation because God can change. It's like, you, like do, you, do you see you, your fellow Calvinists converting away? Like, like mainstream people just converting away from... Like, what's your assurance? You, you guys are lunatics. It's not a real argument. You don't actually believe your own arguments. You're just saying something for the sake of it. It equally applies to you, if not more, in your version. It's it's actually evil as well. God has done these evil, evil things to Matt Slick's daughter, and uh, God's responsible for it all, right? So where's your assurances? It's like, what are, what are we talking about? In, in a world where you have eternally fixed future values, we don't have assurances of anything because nothing we do matters. Everything we do is faded. Uh, there's nothing we could do to subvert what is already going to happen. Everyone who's faded to fall away will fall away. Nothing, nothing matters. It's interesting. I pulled up a Jeffrey Dahmer quote the other day about atheism. In atheism, there, there's, there's, there's no... There's no consequences for your actions. Nothing matters. In fatalism, guess what? We have no choice in our actions. Nothing matters. The only only time anything does matter is in open theism, where we have volition to change the future with God. Work together with God. Synergy. 
synergy you find it in the bible god works all things together that's the word synergy he works everything with us for the good of those who love him synergy is a biblical concept all right so that we're about hour and a half and uh, i think that was good i think we re-reviewed some of this at some point previously i don't think we went this far but this is the individual that zachary Enyar is going to be debating and i think zachary is gonna probably do a good job and so uh zachary if you're listening uh i'm rooting for you i don't know <laughs> but should be good oh synergy you save yourself all right here's here's a question how does a deterministic view of God deal with Psalms 78, 41, saying it's possible for humans to limit God? You guys are in this space, so I'm wondering if you heard someone explain it. So let's turn there real quickly. Psalms 78, 41, and it's going to be probably the Holy One of Israel being limited they tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. And so that is the ESV I'm reading. Let's turn to the New King James. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. And so you, you see different translations there. Uh, King James, yeah, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Let's check out the net. They again challenged God and offended the Holy One of Israel. Yeah, it seems to be... I think something like offense or tempted or or thwarted or pushed against, I think that's what it means by testing. So sometimes in, in the Bible, when you get the testing word, it's not about an actual test. It's about refining, like like uh, you, you test your metal to refine it from the impurities, right? So like a trial by fire type of thing, not necessarily to gain information, but to refine. That's probably what's going on here with this word. I don't think it's an actual metaphysical limiting God or holding him back from doing something. It seems to be more of like pressing against what God wants. That's probably a better way to read that. So, uh, interesting question. But uh, anyways, we'll cut there. Questions, comments, put that down below or start a thread in the God is Open a Facebook group. Thank you for listening.